0: Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. We'll read our text there in just a moment. By the way, where you're finding your place, don't we have a great worship team? Don't you love our worship team? Let's give them a hand. And welcome to, those of you, welcome to those of you who are here live, great audience uh, here, and then also to those who are joining us by a live stream. We're glad that you have uh, tuned in. It's been said that in a time of universal deception, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. In the garden, when things all began, the devil employed a tactic. His tactic was to take truth and pervert it, Right? So he tells Eve, he says to her, look, God doesn't want you eating of the uh, tree of life because he knows if you do uh, of knowledge and good and evil, he knows that you will become like him. You remember that, that lie? Now there was truth in that. They would know about things that they shouldn't have to even know about. And so he used, he took a truth and he perverted it. He twisted it to deceive them. All right. Nothing has changed. Here we are thousands of years later and the tactic is still being employed. In fact, the, the Bible says, Paul wrote and said that, uh, 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 that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. So one of the tactics that the devil will often use uh, among the, uh, those who confess Christ as well as those in our world is to give them a little bit of truth and then, then uh, uh, try to twist it. Make sense? sense. The nature of the series that we're about to embark on for the next uh, number of weeks is uh, some material that God began to work into my life this past uh, summer. And I've been working on it for a good while uh, since then, uh, entitled Religious Myths That Lead to Misbelief. And I'll explain in just a minute why I use the term misbelief as opposed to unbelief. Uh, but let me ask you something, all right? Yeah, I'm going to let you all preach for just a minute, so you can answer, all right? I, I, in fact, I want you to answer, all right? Why do you think it is important for us to distinguish between religious myths or cultural myths and biblical truth? Why is that important? Somebody tell me, why is that important? You don't know, do you? Somebody tell me, why is that important? What, why is it important? Anybody? Anybody? An awareness of the times, okay? What else? You don't want to believe a lie or live your life by lies. Good. What else? Somebody said something. I heard it. Awareness of false doctrine. Awareness of false doctrine, all right? It's easy to confuse if you don't know the truth, right? Uh, you know, in the New Testament, it says, uh, Paul writes and says, uh, that some of those who were confessing Christ were being tossed about by every wave of doctrine, meaning they didn't know the truth from error. And so if you don't know the truth from error, guess what? You're subject to believe a lie. And our culture right now is putting a lot of pressure on the church, on Christians, to compromise what God says in order to go along with cultural norms. What are the, the norms in the culture? All right, that makes sense to you. You feel that pressure, don't you? Well, you got to accept certain things because if you don't, you know, you're not, you don't fit in with God. I want to tell you something. It's important that we understand the truth from the myth. And so that's the basis of this entire series. The book of Jude, just one chapter, uh, starts off and The writer says, I wanted to write to you and talk to you about our common salvation. But he said, uh, seeing what's going on around you, he said, I determined that I needed instead to write to you and encourage you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to you. That's an interesting statement because he's saying, It's already been delivered. The truth has already been delivered and it doesn't take on variations. It has been delivered once and for all. It doesn't need uh, renovation. The biblical truth that we have, that we live our lives by, does not need to be renovated, you know? Now, there are things in our life that need to be renovated, but that is to be a a work of renovation based upon biblical truth. So that kind of gives you some idea of uh, what this series is going to be about, and we're going to talk about, in the weeks to come, uh, specifically some of the areas that uh, that's creating confusion among many of those who confess to know Christ, Uh, and yet they're... They're believing things that are causing them to miss the the real truth. It may just be a little twist on the truth, but they're missing that. So I hope you'll be a part of this entire uh, uh, series. As I said, I, I love the quote about in a time of universal deception, telling the truth is revolutionary. And, you know, that's interesting because Jesus said this, you shall know the truth. Does anybody know how to finish that? And the truth will set you free. All right. Knowing the truth. And by the way, it's in the definite, it's a definite article in the Greek. It means specific truth, not truths. We hear that a lot in our culture today, don't we? Well, there are many truths uh, and uh, you have your truth and you have your truth. What is true for you? The Bible says there is truth. In fact, it says Jesus is the truth. All truth Is based out of him. So if you want to know what is really true, you examine the life of Christ. You examine the living word of Christ. And so I begin this new series uh, again that the Lord put on my heart some months ago because of the increasing secularization of Christian belief. And because the minimalization of essential biblical Christianity. Do you get that? Because of the secularization, the pressure that's coming from culture to compromise. Uh, uh, essential truths uh, of uh, Scripture. Um, so let me do this. In today's message is a set the stage message. All right, uh, it is a kind of uh, uh, the start of the of the entire series. And you notice what I said. You start with the foundations. You'll understand that in just a minute. But let me set this stage a little better for you. We're living in what has been termed now a post. Christian western world and the implications of that are extremely dangerous to a culture's health whether it realizes it or not and to a nation and its longevity but more important it is it is dangerous because it can lead to the loss of genuine Christian biblical obedience and conviction. Journalist Rod Derer, um, I just came across a book recently by him, he is a a journalist and happens to be a Christian, and he wrote a book entitled "Live Not by Lies." And I found it recently as I was working on this series. And by the way, I highly recommend it to you. He he he, he interviews a lot of folks that have come out of socialism and communism, and uh, he gives us some perspective. But in this book, "Live Not by Lies," by the way, a line. That is from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. If you don't know who that is, he was a famous Russian dissident who was thrown in Soviet Gulag. I've been reading back through his tome on the Gulag Archipelago recently, but uh, he was thrown into a prison because uh, he refused to accept the socialism and the totalitarianism that was moving about um, and, and affecting. Uh, The people of his nation, uh, the Soviet Union, he was thrown into the Gulag, and there for several years he wrote. He's a Nobel. Well, he's dead, but he was a Nobel laureate, and uh, and gained national attention because he, or international attention, because he exposed what had happened in the Soviet system in terms of socialism, communism, its effect upon people. At any rate, he made the he made the the statement: We must not live by lies. And uh, Derer has written his book and used that quote as the title of his book. At any rate, in the book, he says, uh, he asks the question, what's happening in America? And then he says, what's happening is there's a progressive and profoundly anti-Christian militancy that is steadily overtaking our society. And then he quotes Pope uh, Benedict XVI. That's not the current pope. That's the previous pope. And the, the current Pope would never say what the previous one did, unfortunately. But the previous Pope said this, he quotes him. He, he said, what's happening uh, now across the globe is a worldwide, listen, dictatorship of seemingly humanistic ideologies. Did you get that? That the ideologies, these these uh, uh, secular ideologies have acted as a dictator uh, now across the globe, in particular in our world. And then the, th- this Pope went on to say, he said, it is the spiritual power of the Antichrist that is producing this. Now, in Derr's book, he, he further goes on to say, so in our post-Christian world, large numbers of those born after 1980 are rejecting biblical and religious truth. There are a bunch of people in this service that were born after 1980. It doesn't mean that all people born after 1980, but large numbers are. In fact, they're referring to them as the nuns, in many cases, <clears throat> I know that doesn't br- represent you. I, you probably wouldn't be here if it did. But he's saying culturally, large numbers of those born after 1980 are rejecting biblical truth. Or they are accepting cultural myths and confusing them with biblical truths. Uh, and he says that, that, that they not only oppose Christians for standing up for principles, but in particular, they oppose any kind of defense of the traditional family of male and female gender roles, and the sanctity of human life among a core of other biblical values. Now, more concerning to me is that the culture is growing increasingly intolerant of any of our view that doesn't follow some humanistic or socialistic order that has now become accepted as the norm in our society. That really is a serious matter that we must not take lightly. It's a new kind of what you might call soft totalitarianism, soft totalitarian where ideas become the ruler and they change the way we respond to stuff. where as a hard totalitarianism would be a dictator says, this is the way it's going to be like it or not. But there's this soft kind of totalitarianism that is invading our country. And by the way, is affecting a lot of believers in their churches and what they're accepting and, and, uh, and not rejecting. And it is, it is, um, it, it's, it's a dictatorial kind of ideology um, that really wants the eradication of biblical Christianity. And it wants to, what it wants to do is replace it with a convictionless kind of acceptance of lies and myths about God, the Bible, the church, and about your faith. Dr. David Jeremiah recently said, I told my wife that I felt like I was living through the dismantling of America. And then he asked these questions. He says, how do we live courageously in a culture where people who shout the loudest win the argument? Hello? That's a good question, isn't it? Because we see that a lot. And how do we live during a time when Christianity is openly being remade to blend more comfortably into a secularized culture? Now, I, this, what we're talking about in the, the weeks ahead is so important for us. And especially for many of you uh, who are going to experience the full force of this in the next decade if things don't change. You're going you're to experience a demand on your faith to compromise your faith like never before. And by the way, they're, gonna, they're going to uh, try to force it from the pulpits, too, of what, what I can say and what I can't. You, that is coming. We've seen some of that, by the way, in the past year. And so that's why this is so important, so important that you you not live by lies uh, and that your faith uh, be founded on the rock-solid truth of God's Word, as we'll talk about. And so uh, uh, this series, uh, I hope, will help us uh, with that very thing. Dave Jeremiah went on to say, Much of the destructive behavior and intolerance today is a determined agenda by Marxist to destroy our history, American history, and replace it with a Marxist idea of history. It's already being taught to our children from the time they enter uh, uh, elementary school all the way through grad school. And he said this, he said, they're not just tearing down monuments. They're also uh, trying to destroy the very foundations upon which our, our nation was founded because they understand something. And they understand this, he says, he that controls the past controls the future. You may have heard about things like the, the, 19, uh, um, the 1619 Project, which is a complete revision of American history to make America uh, the enemy. It, was, it, it is the, the birth child of the New York Times. And it is an attempt to rewrite uh, American history, take God out of the picture, all of those kinds of things. Um, and you, you need to understand that because you say, well, what does that have to do with my faith? Because all of those are small steps in a culture to try to create ideas that govern even the way you understand and worship and seek God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn that I mentioned just a minute ago, you know, the Nobel laureate, the Russian dissident and that sort of thing. Um <clears throat> said that he believes the core of the crisis that created and sustained, uh, sustained the communist and socialistic agenda, listen to this, was not political, it was spiritual. That's what by the way, that's why anytime a, a, a nation starts moving towards socialism, and America is moving toward a socialism, if you don't see that, you don't understand socialism. America is moving there, a dependency upon the government, and so forth, and so on. And here's the problem. Have you ever noticed in, in socialistic, communistic regimes, they always do something. They shut the faith of, of Christians down. Do you know why? because Christianity and communism or socialism are not compatible. And they understand that. And that's why this this series, I think, is so important. I'm not going to be preaching about communism and socialism through this series, but this is the setup. You have to understand the framework that causes us to say, what myths, subtly as they may be, are redirecting uh, what we believe uh, from the scripture. And so Solzhenitsyn's a perfect uh, guy to, if you understand when he's saying that the core thing that enabled communism and socialism was not politics, it was spiritual. In other words, the lack of, of people of faith standing for their faith. So this is all about challenging the lies and the myths that lead to misbelief. Someone has said this, and rightfully so, Christianity without courage is cultural atheism. In other words, a Christian that won't stand for what it believes is no better off than uh, being an atheist, practically speaking. And And by the way, you notice in this series, I use the term misbelief, as I said, not unbelief. There's a reason I did that. And let me tell you what that reason is. Over 80, I read, as I was working on this message, I read a recent survey that said, I I think it was just over 80% of Americans surveyed claim to believe in God. And that makes sense. By the way, that number is way down from 10 years ago, several percentage points. But here's the deal. Over 80% of Americans claim to believe uh, in God But of that, only 56%, according to the survey, actually believe in the God of the Scriptures. So that's a much bigger... In other words, there are plenty of people who say, oh yeah, I believe in God, but it it is based on what they decide God is or who God is to them. And so it's not a question of unbelief, it's a question about misbelief, and so that's why I use that term, and... What's happened is that in our culture, many people, including those who uh, believe in God, have been misled by, by some truth, just a little bit of truth that is perverted or dodged. Does that make sense? All right. So that's what we're going to be talking about, the foundation Uh, that keeps that from happening, and I want to talk about that today. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we read our text this morning, beginning in verse 24. It's a parable, and to keep your Bibles open, because I'm going to come to something at the end, I'm going to show you something else that we're not going to read. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And by the way, isn't it interesting it says the rock. There's a reason for that, of course. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that you'll help us uh, to be able to distinguish between the myths that culture often propagates, religious myths. Uh, Father, taking your truth and perverting it and help us understand what your word says so we can build our lives on the rock-solid truth of your word. Speak to us now, challenge us now, transform us now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now y'all remember what Jesus did. Do you remember what his trade was? You know he did work. y'all remember what he did? Somebody tell me, what did Jesus do? He was a carpenter, right? So you would uh, think that as a carpenter, he probably knows something a little bit about building houses, right? Probably so. And so when he talks about this, we say Jesus would certainly understand the challenges of building and uh, uh, building Buildings that are strong enough to withstand uh, whatever may come against them. And this parable uh, points out a couple of things. It points out uh, that all of us uh, have a house to build, our lives. Your life is the idea here of the building that you are building. And so what you build your life on determines your destiny. And listen, not just for this life. It determines your your destiny in eternity. So this morning, let's talk about faith's foundation. Number one on your outline, I want you to notice the builder's choice, both seen in verse 24 and verse 26 uh, with the phrase, everyone who hears these words of mine. Now, this denotes a choice, right? Everyone who hears these words of mine. And he says that again in verse 26. He says it to the wise builder. He says it to the foolish builder. It denotes a choice. How you process and handle the words of God will determine what kind of life you build. Uh, Don't miss that. How you handle the word of God, the words of God given to you, will will determine the destiny and the kind of life you build. It's all about choice. Build your life on rock-solid truth of God's word or ignore it and reject it or not take it seriously, and we see both of those in this passage. Now, don't dismiss something. Don't dismiss this fact. Both builders heard and received the same instructions. It's important to understand that uh, Jesus is the wise master builder. He's the architect, and he says, here's how you should build your house. Build it on a rock. Both of these builders heard and received the same instructions. They just didn't respond the same way. And and the the idea is is this, it is that uh, you can hear the word of God and you can disobey the word of God. And there are a lot of people in our world today, they know what the scripture says. They're just not doing it. How many times have you heard someone say, maybe you've even said it yourself, but say something like this, well, I know what God's word says, but I just choose to. You know what that person is doing? They're saying, I don't care what it says. I'm not going to do what it says. Their heart may be not bad, you know, but they're still saying, but I'm not going to allow the word of God to determine how I build my life. We hear that a lot today, especially in some of the the moral uh, uh, issues of our day. Well, I know the Bible, and here's how it'll often go, but the Bible's an old ancient book that's outdated, Now, I take you back to the book of Jude, in chapter 1, and read that sometimes. It won't take you but three minutes to read the whole book. You can say, I read a whole book of the Bible today. It'll take you three minutes. Now, for guys, it'll probably take them an hour and a half, but but read that, Jude. And in that, he says that we should contend for the faith once and forever delivered to the saints. It's not an ancient book. It's not even book where some people today say, well, I know what the Bible says, but we need to update the Bible. It, it, look, it, it, the, if God was the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, his word is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? So it doesn't need updating. So there's, it's one thing to acknowledge the word of God. It's another thing altogether to apply the word of God, to do the word of God, to receive the word of God and let it transform our lives. That's why James writes in James 1.22 and says, let's be doers of the word and not hearers only." It's why Jesus said this, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. He was saying, don't just get information, let there be transformation. And the transformation is the result of application, all right? So the word of God must be more than information. It has to be application, and the application will result in our spiritual transformation. But it's, it, it, you live in a culture today that wants to say about uh, the words of God. And remember, why, why are we camping here? It's because Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine, and you live in a, a, a culture uh, that is so politically correct that what it will often do is go, well, yeah, I, I, I know, I know, I, I, I hear, but there's no transformation. I, do you believe the Word of God? Look, if you take a survey uh, uh, in most of your churches today, uh, people will say, I believe in the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. I believe it's the Word of God. But the real test is, are we doers of the Word? Are you a doer of the Word of God? Do you do more than just believe it intellectually? you know the demons, the Bible says in James, the demons believe and tremble? They've got a better knowledge of the Word of God than the average Christian does. And they tremble when they hear it because they know the power of it. My question for all of us is, do we move beyond just information? Um, some years ago when I was pastoring in um, St. Petersburg, we had, after, the, the, um, after our uh, worship service, we had a little reception for guests, and um, I would be there so I could meet any new people, and, and uh, we'd have, you know, uh, orange juice and drinks and uh, donuts and things like that, and then we'd give them. There was an old thing that we used to use to capture sermons on called cassettes. <sighs> How many of you even remember what a cassette was? I mean, you know. We had these cassettes, and so our media team would make a copy of my message and bring them down to that reception so we could immediately give them a copy of that day's message, all right? And so I will never forget this one particular Sunday. A woman comes up to me. I'm greeting these people, you know, and she comes up to me, and she said, I'm new here today, and I just really love being here, and, Pastor, your message was great. And I was all ready to pat myself on the back when she said, but there's just one thing I disagreed with. I said, well, what what would that be? And she said, well, I disagree with that part where you said Jesus is the only way to God. And I just kind of looked at her and I said, well, I said, that's a pretty substantive disagreement since my whole message was about that. And she said, I I know, I, I know. But she said, I just think there are many ways to God. Now, Is that not a cultural myth today that there are all kinds of ways to get to God? You just pick your way. They all end up in the same destination. By the way, I'll be preaching a message on that. But at any rate, I said, well, I said, could I ask you a couple of questions? She said, sure. I said, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? And she said, oh, yes. I said, do you believe all of it? She said, yes, I believe all of it. I said, every word of it you believe is the word of God? She said, absolutely. I said, well, then you would understand when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, that that's pretty exclusive, open to all, but the pathway is very specific, right? And I thought, well, surely now she'll say, oh, you know what she did? (laughs) I said, do you believe that? And she said, I sure do. She said, but I also believe there are a lot of other ways to God. So I believe it, but I, I'm not applying it. I don't accept it. That's our world today. And you know what? There are a lot of Christians who, will, who, who compromise here, who fall apart here, who just say, well, yeah, you got your way to God and I have another. I, this is my way to God because I believe the Bible. Th- listen, a wise builder knows to follow the instructions. And by the way, a seasoned builder has learned a few things about foundations and their duration. So there are a lot of cultural voices today that are telling you how to build your foundation, telling you what to base your life on. And uh, they are voices that are culturally acceptable, but they're not biblically reliable. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, one of my favorite uh, writers, uh, he said uh, recently, much of contemporary Christianity is submitting to the culture in many areas of life, especially in matters of sexuality. The only way to make Christianity appealing, he writes, is to move the markers, we're told. In other words, to keep expanding the, the boundaries so that we become more and more inclusive and more affirming. And he says, I fear... I fear we are allowing culture to inform our thinking and even raise our children. We're no longer submissive to what Acts 20, 27 says is the whole counsel of God. And he, he concludes that section by saying, we think we must accept or acquiesce to culture in order to redeem it. Are you getting that? In other words, instead of being distinctively different uh, we're moving the boundaries so that we can become more inclusive of all kinds of of, uh, of myths or lies, and we become more inclusive. We got to do that in order to redeem them. Never, never, it will never work. What it will do is it undermines the existing of truth. So you have a choice. One is popular. And I'm going to tell you one is unpopular and going to become more unpopular. Let me just tell you that it's going to, in this culture, unless something happens, it's going to become more unpopular for you to stand on what you believe biblically. All right, just write that down and say on January, what, the 3rd, 2021, our pastor said it's going to become more and more difficult, more and more. We've already seen some of that in the past year. So it's a choice. These guys had a choice. How does it make a difference? It's going to make a difference between success and failure. Remember, God doesn't measure success and failure the same way we do in this world. It's going to make a difference between life and death. It's going to make a difference between reward and loss. I'll talk to that uh, about that at the very end. It's going to make a difference between acceptance and rejection. And it's going to make a difference between standing and failing. Dr. Tony Evans, I love Tony Evans, he said, he said recently, in order to live by biblical sta- a biblical standard, or I would say biblical truth, you have to know what the biblical standard is. If you're going to live by it, you've got to know it. That's where, so he, listen, he says, that's where so much of our society has gone wrong. We've gotten too far away from God's word. Amen. So the choice comes down, simply put, which voice you listen to. The instructions of the culture or the world or the instructions of the word of God. That's what it comes down to. And uh, Jesus even said this, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Do you get that? Jesus said blessed are those who hear it. Don't miss that. Blessed are those who hear it and then do it. All right, so our lives and our destinies are tied to and determined by what we do with what God has said. That's why we have to preserve this, his truth, and that's why we build our life on that, foundationally. The second thing I want you to see on your outline is I want you to notice that both of these builders face the same storms. Verse 25, verse 27 tell us, and the rain fell, and the winds beat against it, and the floods came. Both of them, did you notice the same storms uh, 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 assaulted both of them. It's important to understand that storms come to to all lives. And and Jesus is making the point, neither house was exempt, which is why the foundation is so incredibly important. Because the, the wise builder wasn't exempt. You would think, well, the wise builder did exactly what God said. Therefore, God's going to keep him from any of the storms. Not true at all. Both of them experienced storms. The whole parable, I think, in part is to reveal the contrast between those who operate by the word of God and those who dismiss or reject the word of God. I think that's the contrast that he's trying to get us to see that is so important. That's why that's so uh, foundational to us. But now, I bet you've had this question before now. Why is it that God doesn't just exempt his children from storms? I mean, I can tell you this. It surely makes sense to me. Doesn't it you? I mean, if I'm serving God and I'm following God, why, why doesn't God just exempt me? I mean, I'm trying to do everything he wants me to do, and I, have you ever had that kind of thought? You, we, you know, we're all too spiritual in this place, and those of us who are watching online probably to say that. But maybe sometime in the recess of your heart, you've thought, "I don't, I don't get why God, God allows." Sometimes it goes the the argument goes like this: Why does God allow so many Christians to go through storm and seems like doesn't allow those who are pagan or who don't like? Why does that seem to happen? So. Now, let me give you several reasons, or I don't know if you can write all these down real quick, so don't worry about it. Go back and listen uh, to the the message again when it's posted online. But let me give you several reasons that God doesn't just automatically exempt His children from the storms. First of all, because storms are a result of living in a broken, fallen, sinful world. In other words, they came with the fall. Does that make sense? This world is broken. And because man disobeyed God from the very beginning, guess what happened? It set in motion uh, disease and death and difficulty and trials and all of those kinds of things. It changed the environment. It changed the climate of this globe. And it put it under, with God's allowance, the rulership of, of the prince and power of this air, the devil himself. All right? And so... so Storms are a result of living in a fallen world. I'll tell you a second reason God doesn't exempt us, and that's because storms are those seasons in our life that teach us most uh, how to walk uh, most closely with God. I mean, you think about this. You don't want storms. I don't either. We don't want the wind blowing, beating, beating up on us. But the fact is you grow more in a storm than any other time spiritually. And God knows that, and he knows that those storms help refine us and build us and teach us and instruct us. Uh, Now, you say, well, I know some people, they they didn't, the storm didn't help them. It made them uh, antagonistic to God. Let me tell you what a storm will do. Now, listen, a storm will do one of two things to you. It'll either make you better or it'll make you bitter. And that's all about, do you trust God And see, this story reminds us, you think, well, why me? Why me? Why did I go through this? Billy Graham said, why not me? Why not me? And so the storms are uh, opportunities for us to grow. Uh, God doesn't exempt us three because storms are an opportunity to show the world who God is. See, when you face a storm, you have God on your side. The world doesn't have that. They don't don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit to help walk with them through the storm. They're on their own. And so one of the reasons when you go through storms that God allows the storm, and by the way, sometimes God does intervene. But most of the time, he's just with us through the storm, right? And why is that? Because he wants the world to know who he is. And you know how the world knows who he is, by and large? By looking and seeing how he operates in our life. And so when you go through a storm, those who don't know him have an opportunity to see how do you deal with the storm? I know how I deal with it. How do you deal with the storm? Does that make sense? And then there is another reason that God doesn't always exempt his children, and that's because storms remind us that we are looking, as the Scripture says, for a house and a city in eternity not built with hands. Um, We have something better ahead. And a storm reminds us one day we're going to be delivered from this. Do you know the first century church, you know what they called the return of Christ? They called it the blessed hope. The blessed, you know why they called it the blessed hope? Because it was just that for them. They were undergoing severe persecution and they were looking forward. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The blessed hope is when Christ returns and he takes us out of this stuff. Where where there's no more uh, persecution and suffering, there's no more difficulty and trial. There's no more COVID nineteen. All uh, you you, know—that's what they were saying. The blessed hope, and so God doesn't exempt us because He wants us to know that there's something better. You see, if everything were great here, we would think this is the best it gets, and that's a mistake. Uh, And and God wants us to look for a house built, if you go read Hebrews, you see all the suffering, persecution those believers went through, and it said, but they, they were looking for a city, they were looking for a house not built with hands. They kept their eyes on something. You know what storms do? They cause us to look at something that's better down the road. So I may live 70 years, I may live 80 years, I may live 100 years, but my focus is on this, no matter how tough it is here, something better is ahead. And then last, I would tell you, the reason God doesn't always exempt his children is because storms remind us that we have a limited amount of time in this life. Storms remind us that we're we're only here for for a short time. And really, in the scheme of eternity, it is. So so the storm, we look at the storm, say, yeah, this ain't gonna last long. And in the scheme of eternity, it's not. And it it is, again, it's kind of like looking for that city not made with hands, the same idea. We've got this limited amount of time in this life, and then everything changes. By the way, for good or bad, depending on the foundation of your life, everything changes. When Mike Huckabee was the governor of Arkansas, he shared about an ice storm that they had, I guess, in the state there. And he said several of our people were injured on the ice as a result of the storm, he said, I have a feeling, though, that not a, a one of those uh, uh, ventured out of his doorway, and as he walked out onto the ice, said to his wife, honey, I'm going to go get the newspaper, and while I at, I'm at it, I think I'll fall and break my leg. Now, if you've ever been on slick ice, you know that slick ice can just take over, can't it? And, uh, you know, you can can really look foolish, can't you, on slick ice? I mean, you can look like you're making up a new dance, Bradley. But you have little control until you hit the ground, right? You can't control it. And the same is true, Mike Huckabee goes on to say, the Bible... pictures trials as something that come to us that we didn't pick or we can't control and we can't do anything to prevent it and so there's no use trying because you're just you're going to face trials in this life so you can't say I'm going to I'm going to prevent all the trials that are coming my way that would be great if we could but the fact is you can't they're coming so storms storms are the norms you understand that Storms are the norms, and there's no exceptions. Both of these houses face the same kind of storms. And that leads to the third thing I want you to see in your outline, and that is the solid surface. Verse 24 talks about the solid rock that uh, the wise builder built his house on. And the word rock there means bedrock. It refers to a massive solid rock that cannot be moved. The rock foundation of our life is to be Jesus. He is the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the living word. He is the rock of our salvation. One thing deter- determines One thing determines whether a person is a wise builder, and that is if they build on the rock of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6-9 and says that, that ta- talking to Timothy about those who have built their life on Christ, that they have established a good foundation for their future and are able to take hold of what is truly life. There's just no substitute for the right foundation. Time will eventually reveal the nature of your foundation. Every one of us, time is going to reveal what our real foundation is. Now, our world says that you can build your life on any number of different kinds of things. If you want to build your life on things like different religions, things like science, things like materialism, things like education, things like position and popularity, uh, build your life on these things. Make these things the the foundation. That's what our world says. These are, and by the way, rightly handled, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but I want to tell you they are not the things that you build your life on. Hello? Hello? Because they are going in the end to fail. They're not going to be able to sustain a life because they're not designed for that. There's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. And Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he talks about building on that foundation. Listen, building on the rock. Is difficult. Let me tell you why because it takes longer, uh, it takes more commitment, it takes more energy, and it costs more. Uh, Jesus said, For which of you who desires to build a, a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? If, if a builder looks at a, a piece of property, he says, Well, if I just build kind of surface as opposed to digging down to the bedrock, it'll be a lot cheaper and the house will look the same. As the one, if I, I dig it costs more. It takes more energy and more commitment to dig a foundation. And by the way, if you really go down to bedrock for a foundation, the ha- the other house goes up a lot faster, and it looks like you're just a slow builder. But you're building below the surface, and that's what's true in your life as well. That's why we build our life on truth, God's truth, not on cultural ideas, cultural myths. Uh, things that uh, that change with the seasons. And that leads to the fourth thing I want you to see, the sh- shifting sand, because the other builder built on sand. Now, when I was in Clearwater, Florida, when I lived down there and served down there, in our neighborhood, there were a number of houses that began to sink. Now, it wasn't unusual in Central Florida uh, for houses to fall off in sinkholes. You've probably seen pictures of that, but in our area, we're on the Gulf Coast side, uh, you would every once in a while you'd see a house that was that was the foundation was obviously sinking a little bit. Now, you at first, you couldn't notice that when you drove by the house. You wouldn't drive by the house and say, look at that house is, is sinking. It wasn't that dramatic, but it was dramatic enough. If you lived in the house, the foundation started cracking, which made the walls start cracking, which made the ceilings start separating, which caused all kinds of uh, problems. And if you did not address it in time, the whole house would be uh, discombobulated. So here's what they would do. Here's how we knew when a house was in trouble in our neighborhood. We would see these long semi-trucks coming in with massive wooden piers that were as long as a house, And they would park, and then we'd see all these uh, bulldozers and everything, and they'd be digging up around the foundation, and they'd dig down below the slab there into the sand where it was shifting, and they would take these hydraulic jacks, and they would jack up the foundation to where it should be, and then they would slide these massive wooden piers under the slab of that house. They would then repack uh, the dirt around it and a lot of sand around it, and it would shore up the foundation. Why? Because... The sand shifted so much, if they didn't do something to stabilize it, those houses would not let, no matter how how they look at the present or above ground. And that's a picture that Jesus paints of a life or a house that's not built on truth or uses substitutes. It's a major construction blunder. And by the way, it has eternal consequences. When you build your life on anything but the rock-solid truth of God, Uh, in fact, it's actually dangerous um, to ignore the instructions and do it your way. This this builder, Jesus calls a fool, was, was attempting a shortcut. Uh, it was most likely done to avoid the extra kind of commitment, uh, the extra expense, and the extra time. As far as he knew, you know, it looks the same. Um, one year... Back, I guess, when Karis, our daughter, was about two and a half years old, uh, we decided to surprise her with a swing set. She was at that stage where, you know, you could put her on there and strap her in and, and swing her and, and have fun, and she'd have fun and that sort of stuff. And so we wanted to do it uh, uh, during the uh, early evening. And so when she woke up the next morning, she would be surprised by the swing set, right? And so I got on it. Allison was helping me, two master builders, if I might add. And uh, we start building this swing set. Man, do you know how many parts there are in a swing set? I mean, we start building this thing, we start early in the early evening. It's long days, and so there's a lot of light. And I figured, you know, in a couple of hours, I'll have this thing knocked out. It's a swing set. I, you know, I know what a swing set is, it can't be that complicated. Well, we finally finished after midnight with my wife holding a flashlight. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where I didn't quite want to read all the instructions. The instruction manual with that swing set was about that thick, and I thought, "I no way I can get this thing put together if I read that. How hard can it be, right? That's kind of, guys, we, we kind of think, hey, I don't need the instructions. I can do it. And so that's how we embarked on this thing. Again, after midnight, we finished up. We stepped back, and I said, there it is. And Allison, she looked at me and said, okay. That's wonderful. Here, here's a bag of about 40 nuts and bolts. She said, what do we do with those? And she said, what are those? <laughs> and I just looked at them and I said, uh, those are extra parts. Those are extra parts of what they are. <laughs> And the swing set, it held up uh, until about a year and a half later, ironically, when a storm came through and wiped it out and destroyed it. Maybe God was teaching me <laughs> back then all about that. Well, um, when you try to build your life using shortcuts offered by cultural ideas and cultural myths, even if they sound spiritually halfway sane, you're going to pay a heavy price sooner or later. Listen to this verse. Write this reference down, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. Listen to what Solomon writes. He said, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Isn't that a great verse? So this house on sand looked as good as the one on rock, but I doubt that most people could tell any difference until the storm came. And then the storm clarified what was real and what was false? Have y'all ever taken one of these, um, uh, what they call a studio tour, like at MGM or one of these? Have y'all, any of y'all ever done that? I, I, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You go behind the, where they film stuff, and they've got cities built, and they've got ha- neighborhoods built. And you ride on this trolley, and you're looking, and you're going, wow, man, they built all of this stuff to, to film with and everything. You're, it's very impressive. You drive through a downtown that's been built with uh, uh, what appears to be some very tall buildings and all. You drive through a neighborhood that, you know, that you say, wow, what a n- nice neighborhood. Until they turn the corner, and when they turn the corner, you can see, and they tell you, behind these structures is absolutely nothing. It's all a facade, the front of it. Now, if you haven't taken the tour, I just ruined it for you. But, but uh, you'll still be amazed because it looks so good. And then you find out there's nothing beyond the facade, the front. There's nothing beyond it. I want to tell you something. A person that builds their life on the lies and the myths religiously that are propagated in your world are doing that very thing. It all looks good on the front, but if you go behind, there's nothing there. Do you remember what Jesus referred to the Pharisees as? He called them whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but inside there was nothing. There was nothing there. And so it's important for us to to understand that that when you build your life on anything but the truth of God, you're just building a facade that will not stand up in the test of time. Um, That's why the Bible says there's only one thing that's going to stand, and it's the Word of God. That's why you must build your life on the Word of God. The Bible says in Isaiah, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. It's the only thing. Everything else is going to fade away. Everything in this world is going to fade away, and except for the Word of God. So you build your life on the rock-solid truth. Any foundation other than Christ is sand. If you build your life on the myth of evolution, you're building on sand. If you build your life on the myth that a fetus is simply tissue, you're building on sand. If you build your life on the myth that gender is subjective, you're building on sand. If you are building your life on the myth that all religions lead the same place, you're building on sand. If you build your life on the myth that just being a good person will get you into heaven, you're building on sand. And a sandy foundation is destructive and dangerous. At least the last thing what I want to close with this morning, and that is I want you to see the significant results of the foundation upon which you build. We have to start with a foundation. If you notice verse 25, verse 27, both tell us the, the significant um, results. In verse 25, the house built on the rock, it said, but it did not fall when the storm beat against it and all that didn't fall. And verse 27, the house built on sand, it says it fell and great, was the fall of it. So why did I start by, by this series by talking about foundations? It's because your future is tied to the kind of foundation that you build on. I'm going to talk about a lot of things, cultural, religious myths out there in this series, but the fact is if you don't get the foundation right, you won't get anything else right. You got to start right here. Now, I, ref- I, I mentioned a verse in 1 Corinthians 3. I, I shared it with you just a few moments ago, but let me now give you the contextually the whole passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and following, Paul says, According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. and Someone else is building on it. He said, I laid a foundation, which is Jesus Christ. He says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Because um, No man, he says, can lay a foundation, he means a lasting foundation, other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he starts talking about the materials that you build with. He said, so I laid this foundation. I help people understand the foundation of Jesus Christ in their life. And he says, and then they start building on it. But what they build with is important. He says, uh, for example, if anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifested for the day will disclose it. Reveal it, because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test what sort of work each one has done if the work that anyone has built that is the stones he's built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ if it survives he'll receive a reward that's a significant result the fact is the results are based on the foundation the foundation you choose to build on and here there are two results the first result is endurance if you build on the right foundation you can endure the storms I didn't say the storms would be enjoyable. You won't go, oh, wow, that was great. I didn't even say you'll go, I hope I can do that again. But you'll be able to endure the storms. The other result is destruction. Great was the fall of it. If you build on the wrong stuff, I don't care how good it looks on the surface. I don't care uh, how you feel about it. The fact is, if it's not founded on the uh, uh, the foundation of Jesus Christ, at some point in time, it will not be able to stand against the storms that will come at it. When well, I pastored in St. Petersburg, uh, every year we weren't, weren't far, my church was not far off the beach. And uh, every year on St. Pete Beach, up Seminole, Clearwater, they would have this massive uh, sand castle building competition. And I don't mean it's like the kind of thing you do with your family. You know, you get down, and take a bucket and a shovel and that kind of thing. I'm talking about massive sand. They would teams of people would come in and they would build work on their sandcastle for two or three days. And they would cordon it off. They rented space on the bench and they would cordon off. And I mean these sandcastles, some of them were as big as a small house. And they would have, I mean, it's incredible what they could do. They would have etchings in these things and uh, I mean, things that would just blow your mind. Some of them have running water and all this kind of stuff. It's just absolutely incredible what they could do with these things. And so they would build them, and then they would rope, they'd rope them off, and then they'd have security in the evening so people didn't come out and knock the sandcastles down that these people were, these teams were. And then they'd have a competition, and judges would judge all of them, and, you know, one would win and that kind of thing. They'd do laser light shows on them and all this kind of stuff. It was just absolutely spectacular And you could buy a ticket and go down and see the Sandcastle uh, exhibition. And we did that several times. It was just, it would blow you away. But you know, within a couple of weeks of that competition, they were all gone. Why were they gone? Because when they took the ropes down and people passed by, and, and the winds blew and the rain came, they manifested what they really were. They were just sand. That's the picture. If you choose to build your life on the lies and myths of the culture, of the world, no matter how right it sounds, no matter how politically correct it seems or appears, no matter how good it looks, if you build it on sand, your life, and not on Jesus Christ, it is at best a temporary facade that will not endure. Uh, it, it, it's all just sand, and the next storm is going to blow or wash it all away. So I ask you, are you building your life on sand? Eternity will reveal. Reveal. What you're building your life on. Now, let me close. Let me finish. In this same chapter, there are some verses leading up to our parable. Look at verse 21, because I want to show you something. I didn't share this on purpose. I want to share it with you now. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. Lord, on that day, by the way, when it's too late. Lord, we did this for you, and Lord, we did this for you. We did this in your name, and this in your name, and this in your name, and I don't have time to explain uh, uh, how uh, that all worked out, but just because of the name of Jesus, uh, the name of Jesus is powerful. They did these things, and, and Jesus doesn't dispute them, but what he does dispute, did you get it? He disputes that they really actually knew him. He said to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. One day, one day, that day before him will reveal what our real foundation was. You say, well, do I have to wait then to to find out what foundation I'm building? No, of course you don't. But you do need to make sure right now that you're not building a religious facade and that you're building your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ because that's the difference maker between religious myth, cultural lies, and a sure rock solid foundation. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking about. Those of you who are joining us online, right where you are and in this place live today, you can put your trust in Jesus Christ. You can make him the foundation of your soul You can move it from just being information where you say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, to I receive Christ as my one and only Savior, the truth. I receive him. I want to build my life on Jesus Christ. How do you do that? You receive him. You start there. You can pray in your heart right now to him a prayer that goes something like this, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you have given me the opportunity to know you and to build my life on truth that lasts forever. And Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. Right now, Christ, I pray that you come into my life. Be more than just someone I believe in. Be my personal Savior and my personal Lord. I receive you. I accept you as my Savior right now. Thank you that you would come in Some of you in this place today, you may need to pray a prayer like this. I know he's he's my savior, but I forgot. I've been building on the wrong ideas. I've been building on myths and lies instead of on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the living word. And I want to recommit myself. Lord, right now, hear me say, I recommit myself to adjusting my life, to applying the word of God, letting that become the standard upon which I lay the blocks on the foundation. And Father, I renew my commitment to your word, to live according to your truth, and to build my life on it. Now, Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that uh, for those who have prayed these prayers, and I pray, Lord, that you will help us, Father, to be able to discern the myths of the age versus the truth of your word. Change our lives with it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look this way, if you will. And to those of you who are joining us online, I just want to say this morning, perhaps um, you prayed one of those prayers. Here's what I want you to do. Would you text the word pastor? If you prayed that first prayer to put your trust in Jesus Christ, would you text the word pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, 334-384-8080? It'll be on your screen. You can see that. 334 384 Eight zero eight zero, and just text that word, pastor, and that we'll know what to do with that. That means I, today I pray that prayer to trust Christ as my Savior. Or maybe you say I already know Christ, but you know what? I'd like to be a part of the Ridgecrest family. I'd like to join the Ridgecrest family sometime in the future. I'm going to be back in the physical church, and I want Ridgecrest to be that church family. Why don't you join the scores? I mean, scores and scores and scores of people who have done that online. You can do that by just simply texting the word JOIN to 334-384-8080. We know what to do with that. We'll, we'll take care of it from there. You just text that word JOIN. To that number on your screen Now you can do that here in the live audience too You can text those words to us And we'll follow uh, uh, up with that Just like we would if you text it online Or uh, for those of you in this live audience You can take your worship folder On the back there's a tear off panel And you can just indicate your decision Whether you prayed to receive Christ Whether you'd like to join Ridgecrest today Or you need to be baptized perhaps And just check that and drop that in the offering basket On your way out We'll take it from there But it's so important that you take next steps and follow up so we can help you in your new walk with Christ or in your new relationship to our church family. I'm so glad you've been here today.